through these things. We'll be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we'll start reading in verse 1. The title of my message this morning is, is This Daniel. This Daniel. We've been, um, over the last few weeks, looking at the simple gospel and um, preaching on that over the last four or five weeks. And um, now we're going to switch gears a little bit and, and go over here to something that God laid on my heart a, a while back. And um, I, I finally get to uh, preach this message. And I'm, I'm be honest with you, I'm kind of excited about it. Um, as I studied it this week and read over it, um, sat down yesterday with a pencil, um, um, I just, I don't know, I get excited about all there is to preach out of this particular story. Now, this is, this is the pre-Lion's Den part of Daniel. Most people are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den and how he got there and all that. This is, this is leading up to that. And I'm not, we won't get to the lion's den part. We may get to the, um, some more than I have noted here. But we're going to try to cover the first part of this uh, pretty thoroughly this morning. In verse 1, in Daniel chapter 6, the plot against Daniel. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, the governors, so the king would, not, would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning just humbling ourselves to say thank you. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to see the first fruits of your presence. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of such things in this body of believers that we're seeing. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, each one's as individuals. Father, that we may be able to see and feel your presence through the preaching of your word this morning. I ask you, Father, to continue to show us your desires. Father, that give us the strength and courage that it sometimes takes to be obedient to your desires. Pray, Father, that you would... Clear our minds of all outside interference this morning. Father, I pray that an that a, that a electronic device wouldn't work in here this morning. I pray that a distraction not be allowed into this place. Father, for the sake of each one of us, hearing, receiving, and applying your word to our personal lives, that we may grow closer to the image that you so desire for us to be. 
Father, I thank you for this opportunity and I thank you for this congregation. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here, here's the setup of the government under King Darius. Here, here, here's the setup. There's 120 satraps. There's 120 men that answer to three governors. So you've got 120 that's overseeing everything, and those 120 are under the control and power of three, and those three are under the king. So you've got the king, you've got three governors, and you've got the 120 satraps. And the purpose of all of this, according to the scripture, is so that the king would suffer no loss. So, so here's his setup, okay? Y'all are familiar enough with Daniel to know <coughs> that he has, he has come through some stuff. He's, he's been brought up and raised up and he's been um, um, exalted in this kingdom and taken steps up the ladder. And now here he is, one step from the top. He, he's, he's one of three of the governors. And the governors are the people that are responsible for overseeing the 120. The 120 are the ones that are out enforcing the laws and all this stuff. The loss he's talking about, so that the governor, I mean, so that the king may suffer no loss, this is to keep from a military revolt that would cost the king his kingdom. This is to keep people from evading their taxes. This is to keep people from, from defrauding him in some way, taking things that are not theirs. So think of the responsibility on these three men. What, what, what all they've got going on and what all they've got to oversee and what all it, it entails to be one of these three governors that are trying to prevent loss for the king and the kingdom. Have you got your mind wrapped around that? Do you understand this government setup? Do you understand how highly these three are seen in the eyes of this king? These are, these are his three guys. These are the three that he trusts more than he trusts anybody else. Remember, if one of them is corrupt, the whole system is going to be broken, right? Because they're in a place where they can fraud him. They're in a place where they can take things that don't belong to them. They're in enough power that they could lead a military revolt. These are three very powerful men that are one step right under the king. The only person any three of these have to answer to as far as this government is concerned is the king. So these are three very powerful men. Daniel is in a very powerful place right here. Now what I want to talk to you about this morning is how did we get here? How did Daniel get... Why does the Bible say this Daniel? Why is he pointed out? What is it about Daniel that got him to the, this hierarchy that he's in. I mean, he's, he's right under. Now, not only that, not only the way the, the systems broke down, not only is he one of three, not only is he in one of the most powerful places he can possibly be in this kingdom, but the, the king has some other thoughts about Daniel. Verse 2. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 2 that the king would suffer no loss. That, that's their purpose. Verse 3. 
then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Now, this Daniel distinguished himself above the rest of them. Now, we, you, you, we've laid this foundation of where he's at and what kind of power he has and what, obviously, the king thinks of him to put him in this position, but now he's distinguished himself above that. Now he has brought himself to, to the top. You get this? Are, are you staying with me so far? Give me a head nod. Not that falling asleep one anyway. The other one, where I know you're awake. You, you see where Daniel's at. Now he's distinguished himself above the others. Now there's nobody between Daniel and the king. It's clear to everybody. Obviously, we'll see here in a minute. It's clear to everybody that Daniel is the king's favorite governor. Right? He's got all this power just by, just by title. He's one of three governors. Now he's distinguished himself above everybody else. I, I, I really need you to get this picture in your mind of where Daniel is. I really need you to understand the kind of favor that has been placed on Daniel. Because it's the root of everything we're going to talk about this morning. I, I want you to understand where Daniel's at. I want you to clearly have this image of the breakdown of this government. The king, three governors, and then 120 satraps below them. Their purpose is to keep the king from losing anything. He can't have any loss. Now Daniel, out of all of those people, has distinguished himself a cut above the rest. He, he's right under the king. He's the king's favorite. He's the king's right-hand man. If the king needs anything or has any question, you know who he calls on? Daniel. Daniel is at that place. Keep going. Here's why Daniel has distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was on him. Do you know what the king and everybody else for that matter, has seen in Daniel that has brought him to this place. It's character. It's character. Now where does Daniel's great character come from? From the spirit that is in him. From the excellent spirit that is on him. Now is it possible, is it possible for the spirit to live in you and you not have great character yet? Sure it is. Because it's not a magic transformation. Uh, um, Sean talked about it this morning in Sunday school class. That talked about when he got saved and there were still things in his life, even though he, he was fully committed, he, there were still things lingering that he didn't look at as bad things. He was still doing things that he didn't necessarily see as bad things. And then as he got into the Word and he heard the Word preached and he studied the Word, then God started to point those things out to him and he began to make those changes. 
So it is possible for you to be a child of God and not have excellent character. But how do you develop that character? Let me tell you how you develop that character. The way that character is developed in you is the same way that it was developed in Daniel. Obedience to that excellent spirit will produce excellent character. Obedience to the Spirit of God living inside of you as a Christian will produce excellent character. Now, what is character? What is excellent character? Excellent character causes you to do the right thing even when nobody's looking. It causes you to do the right thing even when nobody else is going to know. This excellent character that Daniel has displayed up to this point has put him in a very high position. It has put him number two to the king. And according to the end of verse three, the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. You see how he's climbing? <laughs> Do you see what character is doing for Daniel? Do you see what obedience to God is doing for Daniel? You know, a lot of times you and I get out here and pursue the wrong things. We pursue happiness. Do you know how hard it is to get your hands on happiness? It's fleeting. It's fleeting. You're, you're, you're chasing after a hope. You're chasing after a dream. You're chasing after a wish. And you put your hands on it, and, and you know, as, as, a, as a young man, as a young person, you, you get these images drilled into your mind of what happiness looks like. And, and it comes to you through radio and through music and TV shows and movies and all these things, and the world tries to tell you what happiness looks like. And then you set out on your voyage, and you're chasing happiness. And you know what you're going to find out? You can't catch it. If you listen to mainstream media, if you watch the television, if you look at the commercials, they have a list of things that they claim will make you happy. A new car will make you happy. If you'll just give us all you can give us for the next big thing in vehicles, it'll make you happy. And guess what? It will for about three days. And that payment book rolls in and she's about that thick and you go... And fall out in the floor. And for a time, that's happiness. But you know what happens to a new vehicle? <sighs> it gets old. <laughs> for some of us, it's not that big of a purchase. For some of us, it's, it's a new car. It's a new shirt, a new suit. I got on a new shirt today. My wife went shopping yesterday. I've got on a new shirt. And for about the next two weeks, this will be a new shirt. But you know what happens after that? It's just another shirt in the closet. You may be a person that's got to keep up with the fashions and all the new stuff and society tells you that that's where happiness is at and you'll spend your bottom dollar to obtain it and you get it and you know what you find out? It's temporary. It, it may be in a person, you know, there's a lot of people in marriage today that are married people that are pursuing happiness in their marriage. They're ch chasing, you can't get it. It's not there. You cannot put your hands on happiness. Instead, you should be pursuing godliness. 
And when you begin to wholeheartedly in whatever, whatever mindset, whether it's in marriage or it's in life in general, if you begin to pursue righteousness, if you begin to pursue godliness, you know what you'll trip over? Happiness. You'll just stumble over it. If you, in your marriage, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to take a drink first. I'm about, yeah. If you, if you and your spouse and you're in a marriage and the two of you begin to pursue godliness, both of you are pursuing godliness, I guarantee you with everything I've got in me, you will find happiness. You will be two of the happiest people on the face of this earth and people won't be able to explain it, which is the way it's supposed to be. But if the two of you set out together to pursue happiness, you know what you'll ultimately find? Disappointment. Because happiness is fleeting. If you set out today in your personal life, and you say, I'm going I'm to, with all I've got in me, I'm going to pursue godliness. That's what Daniel did. I'm going to pursue God. Daniel had no intention and no plan to get him to where he's at in King Darius' kingdom. He didn't even know Darius was going to be a king. He, had, he did not set out pursuing the place he is. Do you know what Daniel set out pursuing? Godliness. It was strong in him. It was an excellent spirit on him. And it developed a character in him that nobody could deny. No, no, they could. They looked to find fault in him. Do you realize if you went with me this following week and you set out to follow me and, and watch me from a distance and go, I'm going to find him some, some I'm going to find a wrong in him. I'm going to find a fault. You know, you wouldn't have to make it much past Monday. <laughs> You probably go home late this evening sometime. <laughs> because if you can't, that's why you get nervous when the popo get behind you. You can be driving the speed limit, your tags is up, you know all your lights is working, you obey, and you still a nervous wreck with them behind you. Why? Because if they follow you long enough and look at you close enough, they can find you doing something, right? They can. As a matter of fact, if somebody suspects somebody of something in law enforcement, they just go follow them until they make a mistake. Maybe they just kind of, you know you ain't got to cross the line to give them permission to, to pull you over. You can weave inside your lane and they have reason. These people were doing that to Daniel. They were following behind him. They were watching him. Listen, there's 120 satraps and three governors. By my math, that's 122 people that are watching Daniel's every move. And you know what they came up with? Nothing. They came up with nothing. You know why? Because Daniel's focus was on godliness. Daniel's focus was on doing what this excellent spirit guided him to do. What a great thing it would be to have access to that kind of a spirit. Hold that thought. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them... Not to, now, this is Christ talking to his disciples. 
he demanded, he uh, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So there's a promise. They've been instructed, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received this promise. Okay? Christ is preparing them. He's, he's done been crucified. He's come back to talk to them. He's leaving his last instructions before he ascends into heaven. Next verse. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Next verse. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Next verse. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What? And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and he names all, and, and all the world, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Do you know what the promise was that Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the promise? You know what that promise was for these Christians? The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that caused Daniel to be viewed as excellent character. Is the same spirit that resides in each and every follower of Jesus Christ. It's a promise. God can't break his promises and he promised us this Holy Spirit to reside inside of us. So excellent character for you and I is going to come from obedience to the spirit. Stop chasing happiness. Stop. It's okay to have goals. I'm not anti-goal. But you know a goal without a plan. You know what that is, right? It's a wish. May as well be rubbing the bottle. You've got to have... If you Now, it's okay to have goals as long as you're willing to sit down and put a plan to it and then take the steps to meet that. But make sure those goals include what God would have for you. Don't be so goal-oriented that you lose sight. See, if Daniel had went about this backwards and his goal would have been to be second in command in the kingdom, he probably would have failed. But instead, he made his goal to be as righteous and as holy and as godly as he could possibly be. And you see what it got him, right? You see where he landed, right? You see what people follow. Look at this. They followed him around. Let me tell you something. When you become the person of excellent character, everybody's not going to be excited about that. <laughs> Look at these people in verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. What made them decide to look for a charge against Daniel? The fact that the king thought so highly of him. You know what we like to demonize in our society, not just our society and culture, in cultures and society everywhere. You know what people like to demonize? Successful people. We don't want you to rise too far above us. 
because that shows us where we stand. Well, I don't want you to be too holy because when you come in the room, it's obvious that my holiness don't exist. <laughs> That's what these people were dealing with. That they seen the righteousness, they seen the holiness, they seen the excellent spirit, they seen the character of Daniel and jealousy welled up in them. You know what it should have done? It's caused them to want to work harder in order to achieve the thing. They ought to wanted to sit down with Daniel and say, Daniel, tell us, how'd you get here? And he said, y'all, I quit pursuing happiness a long time ago and I started pursuing righteousness and godliness and holiness and I just ended up here. But instead, you know what they said? We can't have this. He's way more popular than we are. He, he's more well-known than we are. The king's talking about setting him over the whole realm. He'll be our boss tomorrow. We can't have that. We got to shut this down. So they started following Daniel and they looked for a thought in Daniel. You understand that if today you begin to pursue holiness, righteousness, and godliness, don't be surprised if you wake up next week or even tomorrow and somebody else don't like you. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I started counting them as victories every time I find somebody don't like me. <laughs> Richard Wells is on my list. <laughs> Oh, no, he's on another list of people I don't like. Never mind. My bad. That was the wrong list. When you pursue godliness, when you pursue righteousness, there's going to be a certain amount of people that are proud for you. There's going to be a certain amount of people that are glad for you. There's going to be a certain amount of people that celebrate with you. But rest assured, there's also going to be a certain amount of people to come against you because of it. Jealousy is going to be welled up inside of them. They don't like your righteousness and your godliness and your holiness on display. Even though you're not flaunting it, they don't like you standing beside them because when you, they stand beside of you, it shows where theirs is and it's non-existent. But I can assure you, if you go out here into this world and you decide, I'm just going to do what's right, no matter the circumstances or scenario or who we're talking to, I'm going to do what is right according to God. And I'm going to do it in my job. I'm going to do it in my family. I'm going to do it in life in general. I promise you, you won't be able to hold all the blessings that comes from that. Just this week, Friday, I, <clears throat> we didn't have much on the schedule for Friday. The first four days were chaos. And I was, I was all over the state chasing my tail on some things. And, and just, it was a crazy week. I didn't get home on time. I don't think near day, except Monday night. I got home Monday night on time, and then the other three days were chaos. But Friday, when I left Thursday, I didn't know of anything going on. So I thought Friday was going to be a, just a kind of a, you know, work, but not have to be pushed. So we were around the shop there Friday morning catching up on some things, some parts I had brought in from Shelbyville where I had been all week, and um, me and Stanley tore them down and figured out what parts we need to order, get me ready for Monday. And I thought, man, I'm going to wash my service truck. This thing is nasty, grease and oil dripping off of it everywhere. It's embarrassing to go somewhere in it. It looks so bad. Can't get in the, I mean, there's mud that deep in the floorboard. Them two days it rained so hard. I was working in mud about that deep, and I don't mean standing in it. I was crawling in it. 
It was two, two of the nastiest days I've had since I've been there. And the truck showed it. So I said, Friday, I'm going to get to clean this truck up and it's going to look like somebody, you know? So I said something to my boss. I said, I think I'm going to wash this old nasty truck. And he didn't say anything. He just walked off. And then we, we have break at 9 o'clock. And we was all sitting in there at break, at, sitting around the break table. And he goes, you know where Petersburg is? <clears throat> yeah, I know. Where, yeah. He said, I need you and Dillard to go over there and, and do this job. I said, all right. So I'm not going to get to wash my truck. Well, let's go get this. I don't know how this goes. Here it is Friday, and I'll be home at 7 o'clock. So me and my, my helper tear out to, to uh, Petersburg, individual, uh, find a guy. went by him the first time, and I went, I bet that's what we're supposed to be working on. But they told me it was international, and it says dresser in letters this long and this tall. On the back of it, it says dresser. I said, I don't, that might not be it, Dillard, because they said it was international. So I drive by it, and of course, I don't know if y'all ever got off the main road in Petersburg. But <laughs> the further you go, the narrower they get. The roads are built like this. And we were down to the tip, and I went, we're out of, we're, I got to call this cat. We've, we're off track somewhere. So I called him, and I, and I said, um, I said, I'm on the road you told me to get on, and I seen a dozer up there. At the, he said, I don't know how you'd have missed it. I said, well, the one I seen was sitting beside a big green John Deere tractor. That's it. That's it. And I thought, well, okay. <laughs> it's a dresser, not an international. So turn around and get up there. We do what we got to do, take this thing apart. Real super nice guy. Probably one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, it was just a blessing to be around him that day. He offered us lunch. He offered us drinks. He offered us water. He offered everything he could do. And just a super, super kind, just a gentle kind of a man. Ask a ton of questions. He didn't know nothing about a bulldozer. He bought him one. And he said, I can tell you everything I know before you start. He said, that's mine, and it's a bulldozer. That's what I know. <laughs> I said, well, this ought to get interesting. So I started telling him about where and how parts wear and what's wore out on it and breaking his heart about some things he thought was a good, it wasn't good, and all this stuff. Me and Dillard pack up and get headed back towards the house. Got him buttoned up and, and, and took care of, and we was coming back. And we get back to the shop, and it's uh, 3 o'clock, 3.30, 3.30 something. And uh, I come in the shop, and he said, uh, did y'all get it done? And I said, yes, sir. He said, that guy called up there after y'all left. I thought, oh, no. I said, he did? He said, yeah. I said, what did he have to say? He said he had just met two of the nicest young men he'd never met in his life. And he said they'd done as good a job as anybody he'd ever worked with in his life, and especially anybody that has ever done any kind of work for him. He said he, ain't, he was just blown away by y'all's knowledge. And, your, and I thought, Larry, all he knowed is it was a bulldozer. It didn't take much for me to make to look smart, you know. But it was just, it, amen, amen. But it was just one of the most gratifying things I felt in my job in a long time. And, and it was easy to be in a foul mood because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at the shop cleaning up my service truck. I wanted to have an easy day. I wanted to have a day that didn't require me to drive an hour to get to what I had to work on and an hour to get home. I, I didn't want to be out in the mud. I didn't want to be out in the cold wind. I wanted a day in the shop. So it was easy to be in a foul mood, but I made up my mind when I left because I had Dillard with me, my helper, I won't, I, because I had my helper with me, I about did it. Didn't I? You seen that, didn't you? 
Because I had him with me, I put in my mind that, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't display that kind of attitude and mindset because this is a young man I'm trying to lead in the right direction. And if I mess up, he's watching. He's going to see it. And not only did, did we get to have a, a great opportunity to meet a fine, fine man, but he went out of his way to call our boss, and when we got back, we got a little pat on the back. Now, if I had set out the day looking for the pat on the back, you know what I'd have got? Disappointed. <laughs> See, your focus has got to be in the right place. Darius, I mean, uh, Daniel did not set out looking for this position in Darius's kingdom. He set out looking for righteousness. He wasn't pursuing happiness. He was pursuing godliness. And if you pursue righteousness and you pursue godliness and you do all you can do to be obedient to that excellent spirit that is in you, You'll trip over happiness. I promise you, you'll find it. But if you set out looking for happiness, all you're going to find is disappointment. Whether it be in your job, whether it be in your life, it be in your marriage, or even in your children. Because happiness is not attainable. Oh, it is for a time. Happiness is like lightning. It just kind of hits and flashes. Sometimes it leaves behind destruction about like lightning too. Because some of the things we think will make us happy hurt. They hurt. This Daniel, twice in this scripture, he's referred to as this Daniel, a particular person. And he was brought to that place by an excellent spirit that was obviously on him, to the point that these people set out, they set out in verse 4 to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. He was obedient to that spirit. He was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, do you believe for one minute that Daniel was the perfect man that never made a mistake? No, but these people could not find his faults because he was pursuing godliness. Maybe God had them blinded to his faults. Maybe his faults really weren't able to be seen. But I know this. I know some things I want to share with you before I quit. Verse 5, Then this man said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel. There's your second reference to this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now think about that. We can, the only way we're going to find anything against Daniel is if it's somehow tied to his obedience. I pray that people that look for fault in me have to dig up, make up, and uncover things concerning the law of God in order to find fault in me. I, I, I wish it were that way. And my plan to make that a goal instead of a wish, I'm going to share with you because I see it in Daniel. If you went over to the next thing, you'll find out that they, they write, if these next few verses tell us that these, these satraps and these governors, they go to the king and they go, man, we need, a, we need a decree, we need a law. And they have this king to write this law. And they're going to make this decree to whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. You see what they've done? 
Do you know what they noticed in Daniel that caused him to be caused them to be unable to find fault in him? What'd you say? He had a prayer life that was obvious to people around him. I ain't talking about a prayer life that took him home to his prayer closet. That's great. I'm sure he had that too. But he had a prayer life. These people that were looking for fault in him, they seen one thing in him that he was not going to not do for one day. And that was pray. I hope and pray that when I'm in the ground and Kevin's standing over me, he can say that about me. He can say, if ain't nothing else you need to know about this man, he prayed. He trusted God and he prayed. These people that were looking for fault in Daniel, it was obvious to them that he prayed. How do I know that? Because they said the only way we're going to find fault in him is to make up a new law. What did the law pertain to? Prayer. Prayer. You know Daniel's plan for being righteous, holy, Godly and obedient. <laughs> it was prayer. It was prayer. Now I told you all ago, by looking at these scriptures, I know that when I begin to pursue righteousness, holiness, godliness, when I plan to be obedient spiritually, there's going to be people come against me. It's going to happen, right? These folks were out to get Daniel. And they went to the king, unbeknownst to the king, had no idea what was going on, and they got him to write a decree. And the decree said that for 30 days, anybody that prays to anything besides you and your idols were going to be thrown in the lion's den. Now, the next scripture I want you to look at, and this is my last one, in verse 10. And I did not give this to... to Nathan and me and him laughed about this morning because I gave him two scriptures and he said, this ain't never good. <laughs> you or Kevin, either one, it ain't good when you come in here and hand me two scriptures because that means we're going to have to find them because <laughs> I know it's going to be more than two scriptures. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Now when Daniel knew Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. What writing was signed? There's no praying to nobody but King Darius for 30 days. Now when Daniel knew, they didn't catch Daniel off guard. They, they, remember where Daniel is in the government? He's one of three right under the king. When that decree was signed, you know who was in the room? Daniel was sitting there. When Daniel knew, but Daniel had a lifestyle of prayer. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, you can't allow to pray to nobody but King Darius for 30 days. And he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Could, could, hypothetically speaking, could Daniel have said, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. God knows how faithful I am. God knows that I love him more than I love anything in this world. God knows that I've prayed three times a day in that room 
out windows open on the side facing town. But I think today I'm going to start praying in the basement. Would that have been a, would me and you look at that and go, he's still praying? Would me and you have looked at that and went, you know, that's justified. He's got to look out for his safety, right? But not Daniel. <laughs> you know why not, Daniel? You know why Daniel did not think that way? You know why Daniel did not have, he never thought of that. That was not even a thought in his mind to go home and pray in the basement. Because all of Daniel's life, he had done it this way. And all of Daniel's life, he had seen God do things in his life that nobody could explain. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to trust that God's going to keep doing what he does. I'm going to keep doing what I do. Where I do it and when I do it. You know what? One of the most dangerous things that Christians let happen in their lives, I think, is one of the most dangerous things a Christian can let happen. It happens all the time. It's for you to allow people to decide when, where, and how often you serve God. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It'd be dangerous for me, for y'all to rise up and go, you can't preach here no more, and God telling me, you must preach there. And for me to give in to you and go somewhere else. And, and, and most of Christians would, would, would absolutely be behind me and help me justify that move but it wouldn't be okay with God. Too many times you and I let other people determine how we serve God, when we serve God, and where we serve God. That's only up to God. Just like Daniel. He didn't let them determine when, where, and how often he prayed. I'm going to do it because I know it's the right thing. I already have the results of it. I can look back over my life and see that doing this, God is happy with it. And he's put me in a great place because of it. Now, y'all know the rest of the story. He gets caught. They, I mean, there ain't no getting caught. <laughs> they didn't have to catch him. They just had to write their law, get it signed, and sit back and watch. Because what was Daniel going to do? He was going to pray. You know, it's hard to be obedient to the Spirit if you don't spend time in prayer. It's hard to claim you're pursuing godliness when you don't spend time in prayer. It's hard to claim that you're pursuing righteousness and you never pray. If you want to see what real happiness feels like, pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. You'll trip over happiness and go, what's that little thing? Because I promise you, righteousness, holiness, godliness is so much bigger than happiness. And all three of those things, believe it or not, are attainable. They're attainable. Happiness is not. It's not. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. Now joy, joy is readily available. And you'll learn the difference when you pursue holiness, godliness, righteousness. Let's pray. Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you again to say thank you for your word. I thank you for this message, Father, and what it's meant to me in my life. I pray, Father, that it has the same impact on the lives of those listening to me this morning. Father, I pray that as we, we come together to have a time of invitation, a, a, to an altar call, a, a, a whatever we call this part of our worship, Father, I pray 
that you would touch hearts, that you would move people. I pray, Father, that no one would leave here today the same as the way they came in. I pray, Father, each one would leave here changed, not by my preaching, but by your word. Father, I pray for your guidance and direction to continue in the, in the song that we sing, in the way that we respond to your call. Father, I pray that your scripture has been implanted into hearts this morning. I pray that we see the direct results of that scripture being there in this week to come. I thank you for this opportunity. I love you more than anything in this world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.